This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 301. The, the geography doesn't matter. And if you are far away, it forces you to learn really important skills and talents that are incredibly valuable. Like you're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with David Green. I was going to go with your middle name, but I couldn't remember it. So I was going to go with Lynn, David Lynn Green, because that's like everyone's mm. middle name, but am I off? Not dudes. No, not very often. <laughs> Usually you use my middle name as the man. What happened with that? Well, you know, I don't want to lie to the audience. So Okay. <laughs> I see how this is going to be. All right. So, Brandon, what's up, let's David continue. The man? What's, it, what's going on? What's going on? You know, it's funny. While we were recording today's podcast, which was like super high energy and a lot of good content and kind of creepy in a way, because this guy that I've never spoken to and says he never read my book says word for word everything that I <laughs> preach about out-of-state investing. It's like, what are the odds that the two of us are doing the same thing and have never met and we've come up with the same systems? Like, it just yeah. was very like, man, uh, what are the odds that would be the case? But it's also Unless encouraging that's because that's what works, right? Like, that's, that's just exactly what, works. what I'm getting at, yeah. right? Like, we've both come to the same conclusion coming yep. from different places because that's what works. So yeah. I, I like that he's definitely like encourages people in the same way that I do. So you guys are going to get a lot out of the show. He's also a Burr investor, which we are huge proponents of the Burr method. So he talks about that. But as we're recording the, the podcast, I'm getting messages from a wholesaler who's like, I really need to move this product property. I can reduce it of another like 20%. Can you buy it? So we're talking about real estate while I'm kind of negotiating a deal while we're recording because there's somebody else who That's wants funny. to buy the house. But I think by next episode, I'll have another housing contract to talk about. And it was just cool because this is an out-of-state property that will be used the Burr method. I should be able to finance 100% of my uh, money out of it and you have a cash flowing rental. Fancy, fancy stuff. And speaking of Burr, that's exactly what we're talking about today. We've got Alex on the show. Alex Felice. I hope I'm saying that last name right. I always forget to ask the guests how to pronounce their last names. I got to start doing that. Alex is a uh, really awesome dude. He's been very involved in Bigger Pockets. He's very much a Bigger Pockets success story. He was sitting exactly where a lot of you are a few years ago. No properties, trying to get into it, uh, and really made some big changes in his life. Uh, and is now just crushing it with the birth strategy. You're going to learn all about that today. Uh, he's got a really great personality, a lot of fun to talk to. So you guys are in for a treat. But before we get there, let's get to today's quick tip. tip. All right. Quick tip is very simple today. It's something that we talked about a while ago, but I want to just re uh, restate it. For those who don't know, Bigger Pockets actually has provided uh, landlord forms for all 50 states. If you are a Bigger Pockets pro member, it's included in your pro membership, or you can buy them at, uh, what's the word? Ad hoc. That's the wrong word. Uh, what's the word? A la carte. You can buy them a la carte, uh, maybe for your state. Anyway, uh, go to biggerpockets.com slash LL forms. Are you laughing at my lack of? I love that say? you always do this with different words. Housekeeping, <laughs> house cleaning, ad hoc. It's like, it's like Steve Carell from The Office, how he's always. Mixing up what he's trying to say. You're hilarious. <laughs> That's my my goal in life is to be like uh, Michael Scott. You could buy, you could buy them a la mode a la here mo- at Bigger Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go to biggerpockets.com. There's LL Forms to check those out. 
Did you know that short and medium-term rentals offer double the cash flow compared to long-term rentals? It's true, and rent to retirement just made investing in them easier than ever. Now you can buy fully turnkey short-term and medium-term rentals that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed. Maximize your cash flow, appreciation, and equity while rent to retirement takes care of all the rest for you. Plus, their creative financing options like interest rate buy-downs can get you a rate in the low five and their investor loans let you buy multiple properties with as little as 5% down. Not 20%, 5% down. But why buy with rent to retirement? They're investors just like you and me and rock one of the highest reputations across bigger pockets with more five-star reviews than any other company on our site. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with some of the best cash flowing markets today. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You, you got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. I, I don't want to waste any more time. You guys are going to love this show. Uh, this thing is just a lot of fun and very, very motivating, very, very informational. You will not be able to leave this show without knowing exactly what the birth strategy is, how it works, and how you can use it in your own life. So with that, let's get to the show. All right, Alex, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you doing, man? Uh, very, very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, all right. So people have been telling me forever about you. Well, let's go into your story. And figure out, like, how did you get into real estate? Like, why real estate? Walk us through that beginning. Yeah. You know, I find that I was probably like a lot of people who I got into personal finance first because I was living my life uh, tragically, irresponsibly, fiscally, ah. <laughs> living week to week, making bad decisions, you know, like, like a lot of people. I got sick of it after some really bad decisions and found personal finance. Well, started saving some money. And I said to myself, I need to parlay this capital that I've saved into something that will make money passively. And I didn't want to start a business and I had no services to sell. And I'm really lazy. So it had to be passive and I needed it to be tried and true because I didn't want to go figure something out that's only going to work for a few years and then have to start over. 
So it had to be tried and true, passive, uh, and I had to do it without a lot of capital. And sure. if you write that on paper, there's nothing that would appear to work. And then I found real estate. And I, around 2014, I started listening to your podcast. And you know, I burned that thing down six episodes a week <laughs> while I was going to college. And I bought a house inside of eight months with three grand. We bought a foreclosure. We moved in. We house hacked it. 18 months later, I... It was worth, I pulled out 60 grand in cash That's awesome. uh, and I was, and I was hooked. All right. So tell us about that first deal. I mean, you, you, it was a, it was a, do you say single family house that you bought? Yeah, it was just a, a foreclosure. Uh, it was like 54,000. We, it was, we FHA moved in. It was kind of dumpy enough that it was, you know, foreclosure distressed, but nice enough that the FHA would let us move in. Um, which is kind of, kind of hard to find, but. Three grand later, we got a house for 54 grand and 18 months later, it appraised for 115. That's awesome. Where was that at? Fayetteville, North Carolina. That's where I do all my, that's where I do all my, all my investing. Uh, it's a small town next to Fort Bragg, biggest military base in the country. Yeah, cool. I was actually looking at a property out there like a year ago and I was running the numbers and I, I was negotiating and it didn't go through, but I don't know. Maybe I should have done it. Sounds like a good market. No, you should have called me. You should have called no. me. I got you. I got you, baby. <laughs> All right. So actually, um, go ahead. I will, I will tell you another story. So I was listening to this podcast in the car on the way to college. After all my irresponsible life ended, I said, I got to go back to school. So I went to school for finance. And so people, my idea was I'm going to go to school to finance for finance to learn how to make money. And I did it because it's college. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and they teach you how money works, but they don't really teach you how to make money. But I, I was listening to this podcast on the way to college back and forth. And I swear that's where I got my real education. The podcast, listening to the podcast back and forth is what made me money. Not actually going to the, the commute was worth way more to me than the degree. That's awesome. That's awesome. I like that idea. You know, Zig Ziglar has that. I think it was Zig Ziglar says it. Somebody says it, but I think it was Zig that said about how like you should turn your you know, vehicle into a mobile university. Like if you're sitting in traffic anyway, why not use that time instead of listening to rock music or, you know, country, why not listen to something that's going to help you? (laughs) So you did that. You were listening to podcasts and kind of growing. And and so that first deal, like what made you, I guess I'm, I'm curious, why did you go the, the live, basically we call it a live and flip, right? The house hacking of a live and flip. Why did you go that route Instead of maybe just continuing renting and going and, you know, investing in a rental property. Well, I was broke. I, I had five grand. <laughs> and so if you want to buy a house with five grand, you got to move in it. So you can do FHA or, or VA, but you have to buy one that's distressed enough. And that's a, that's a really tricky yeah. avenue, uh, you know, specific unicorn to find, but it's possible. And this was in 2014 where it was maybe a little bit easier than it is today, but I didn't plan it as good as it sounds now. It was kind of like, honestly, I was living in a, in a condo and my girlfriend kept collecting dogs and they kicked me out of my condo. And so I was like, I need to go buy a house. So I bought this one <laughs> and I said, I think it's going to make some money. And it did way better than I had expected. And so that was in 14 by 16. I bought my second actual rental because I had been saving cash okay. uh, for so long. And then I bought five cents, 16. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So let's go yes. through that. So what, so I want to walk through a lot of people are able to do the first deal, right? A lot of people can do, they can buy a house, maybe, you know, a house hack or a live in flip or the combination of, or whatever, you know, they can, they can do that first one where a lot of people get hung up is the second one. They say, well, I got the first, but now I don't have enough down payment. I don't know how to get that second. So how did you pull off the second deal? 
Uh, I lived broke. After I figured <laughs> out that I was broke, I started living broke on purpose and I saved a bunch of money. And it took me four or five years at a couple hundred bucks a month. Plus I cashed out that second property. And after four or five years, I had, I think I paid $68,000 for my, my first rental property all in cash and rehab, 68 grand. And I think I had like $70,000 to my name. And so there was no room for error, but you know, you do what it takes. So I bought that house. We did a burr. Thank you for that, Brandon. We did a burr. I got all my money back uh, six months later. And then I found out about delayed finance. And then I did four. I, I do. It takes me eight weeks to do a burr now. Okay. We got to... We got to unpack all of that you just said. Okay, so you, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I'm, no, I'm it's good. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, so you first of all, you said you did a you did a birth. Those who don't know, it's buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Right? It's the idea where you buy a rental property, maybe for cash, maybe for like some kind of short term financing. You fix it up, you rent it out, and then you go to a bank and you get a new loan that pays off whatever you use to buy it. If that totally confused everyone, just go to biggerpockets.com/slash/burr with four R's. And you can read more about it. But uh, so it's a strategy that David Green here loves and is actually writing a book on. It's a strategy I love. I've used it a lot. And a strategy, Alex, you love and you've used now. So you, you let me go back to that. So you bought this property. How did you finance the property originally to buy it? Cash. Okay, so you bought it for ca- essentially cash, right? So then you my, fixed my, it up. My own capital that I saved up. Yep. Perfect. You saved it up, bought the property, then went to a bank and got a refinance. Would you remember what it appraised for after you all got all, all fixed up and ready to go? 95,000. That's awesome. So then the bank gave you what, like 70% or something? They gave, yeah, they'll give you 75% for a single family. Yeah. 70% for two, two to four, I think. You got all your cash back. I, yeah, I think when you say that, I run into that problem as well. Like people can get their first one because they have a little bit of capital and they can usually move in or do a... a uh, fix and flip or live and flip, but you're right. You know, it drains a lot of capital and then you go slow. And I think that that comes back to this interesting principle that I talk to with real estate people all the time. And I say, I, cause I, I'm famous for saying real estate is easy. Real estate is super easy. And it is real estate transactions are really easy. What's hard is building a business and building a business around doing this can be difficult because people say, well, I don't have enough money, but part of your business is raising capital and getting other people yeah. to invest in your common goals. So. People, they want to do it themselves. They want to raise their money. They want to spend their money. And it, it goes much slower than that So when you do it that way. So building a business is hard. And that's, and that's really the, the part that I wish I had worked on much more from the start. And I could have gone a lot faster. I'm, I'm, I'm crushing it now, but... I, I, <laughs> you know, I love... That. I love concept, yeah. Go ahead, Brandon. Well, I was going to say, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> we both love it. We love it a lot. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I just going to say that the concept of you're building a business, you're not just casually buying property, you're building a business. I think that's solid. But David, go ahead. You make a really good point about how, and I say the same thing all the time, and Alex and I have never met before this conversation right now, but it sounds like we're doing very similar stuff. We're both using the bird strategy. We're both investing long distance. We're trying to maximize the efficiency with which we're building our portfolio. So even though I don't know Alex, I can guarantee you like he's like, yep, that's exactly what's going on. He makes such a good point that you can get that first deal because you only have to put a little bit of money down if you do a live-in flip and you buy it as a primary residence. Then you have to start putting big chunks of money down. And unless you're making a ton of cash, you start to run out of money pretty quick. That's where we start to figure out the burst strategy. Because if you have big goals that you want to build a big portfolio, you've got to be able to refinance and get your money out so you can go invest it again. And it sounds like, Alex, you've kind of figured that same thing out. Can you tell me what was the thought process like for you that you realized, I need to learn how to burst so I don't run out of money? And what, it, like, what were the skills that you had to develop to be able to do this? 
I think everybody runs into this problem where they run out of their capital and then you exactly like you said, what do I do next? Well, you go and figure it out. And the way I figured it out was I asked everybody in the planet for alternative strategies forward to both teach me and to do it with me. And what I mean by that is like, I didn't figure out the Burr method. I found a lender that knew how to do it. And then he helped provide options or opportunities or avenues for, for continued success. And so if you ever get stuck in a part of your process or part of your strategy, it's likely you, it's not a, it's never a money problem. It's a networking problem or maybe an education problem. You have to either learn more about the process or you have to go find people that can, that know and can help. So when I, I really got like stuck, that. yeah, okay. when I got, you said when you got when, stuck, yeah, when I got stuck, I said, well, I have, I spent all my money and you know, it's funny. Uh, people love people who don't do real estate love to say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to pay my house off in cash? Well, the first time I paid that house off in cash, I felt awful because my bank account was drained. And now all I had was 900 bucks a month. That's that was worse. So I was like, I got to get a loan immediately. And after, you know, you wait six months and it's uncomfortable. So literally the discomfort of going slow, I am not a go slow guy. I don't like it. I don't like sitting still. <laughs> so the, that, that right there just annoyed me enough where it's like, I have to produce a solution here. Okay. So one of the problems that we hear people run into that are trying to do what you're doing is they just cannot get over this hurdle of buying a property they don't see. And you mentioned that you buy properties that you've never even seen. What's your process like for how you can get over that emotional obstacle of, I need to see a property before I buy it? Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> That's the problem. best answer I've ever heard. That's great. That's a big problem. Look, okay, I actually have a, I have a rant about this. Look, being close to your property, being physically, geographically close to your property is not a benefit. It is a hindrance. Mm, so? It is a crutch. Well, because look, if your tenant doesn't pay and they live five miles down the street, I guarantee you, you're not going to go down there and choke them out to get your money back. So being close provides you no actual benefit other than some seemingly important peace of mind that doesn't really exist. Being far, being close, it, you can't do anything. If you got squatters, you can't, that's not going to make a difference. The, the geography doesn't matter. And if you are far away, it forces you to learn really important skills and talents that are incredibly valuable, like managing a team, trusting people uh, long distance, learning how to incentivize people for mutual gain. Like my team on the ground out there, I, I'm, I'm worthless without them. But the value was building the team and building the common goals and the culture that we have far more than... I mean, if I was close to the house, if you're close to the house, you end up doing everything yourself. And that's the wrong skill to learn if you want to grow. Yeah, I actually agree. In fact, I oftentimes tell people that my ability to do work, I mean, people have heard my story. I'm sure like I could fix up a house and I learned how to use a saw and a hammer and all that. My ability to do work hindered me in the same way that my insistence on doing only local stuff hindered me. Right. Like, because I, I felt like I had to do it because I could do it. It was there. Right. And so I didn't even think about investing in other areas where I probably, I mean, to be honest, like I, I lived in an area where real estate worked. So why not just invest there? But when I think about it now, I lived in a very, very small area that like capped me at the number of deals I could do because there just wasn't that much inventory at every any given time. Right. So I think you have a really, really good point there. Like you're not going to drive over and choke the guy out for rent anyway. So why not build systems that allow you to get, get those things done without you having to be there? Yeah. And that's a harder skill to learn too. Like, you know, people get stuck, I think with, I buy three houses, it's a lot of work. And then you kind of get stuck at three houses or four houses yep. and you're just managing those, those buildings. And it's, 
And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, if I really want to scale this thing, then you need to learn the skills that scale and fixing toilets doesn't scale. Okay, so what, um, what are the so skills I, that scale? Your ability to attract good talent, Ooh. your ability to your ability to motivate people towards common goals, your ability to uh, delegate and build infrastructure, your ability to create a culture around your team. Really, it's the abilities that you need that scale are networking and education. I say these two all the time. I talk about them all the time. Those are two things. If you do those on, on mass, meet people uh, that can help you get your goals and learn what it takes to get your goals and do it every day obsessively. I mean, success is inevitable. That's, that's really good. I think every single person needs to click that little button on their iPhone or whether listening to this podcast on where it like rewinds it like 30 seconds and go back like two of those and then listen to what Alex just said again. Like those are the things. Networking and education. Yeah, like that's so key, right? Again, we get so stuck on the principles of real estate sometimes, especially in the beginning. And I know you have to learn them. You have to get good at them, right? How to analyze a deal, how to, you know, but would it be better to learn how to fix a toilet or learn how to find a great plumber that'll last you the next 20 years? Like what skill would be better spent, right? And and we talk about that a lot on the show, but and I'm not saying a person should never change, you know, if that's all you can do is change a the toilet, then fine. Maybe you should change the toilet. But there's a good chance that there's other skills that would serve you much better uh, in the uh, long term. So that, yeah, that's so good. So that's how you scale a business is by, uh, by getting those systems down. So I want to go back and, and on that note, you mentioned how you can do a burr. I think you said in eight weeks, you're down to eight weeks. Can we talk Easy, about that? Easy, baby. Easy. How do, how do you do that? Look, I have the luxury of being able to buy houses off the MLS. I also have a sick realtor. So she'll send me a, she'll, you know, we'll find a house, get the offer accepted, close in five days. Rehab takes three weeks, four weeks for a $20,000 rehab. Tenant placement, my my property manager is a monster. Again, like everything I do is a product of my fantastic, my fantastic team. And so I really couldn't do as much as I do without them. So he finds a tenant in, uh, in, a, in a blink, and so the whole, that whole thing takes six weeks. And then I go to a lender and I use the delayed finance exception, which says you can finance your property inside of six months with Fannie Mae, as long as you finance, this is an extremely misunderstood topic on the forums. They say you can finance what you buy it for, but that's not the rule. The rule is you can finance it for 100% of HUD. And that's very different. And so when I go to buy the house, when I close on the HUD, I put my rehab costs on there and pay for them in full along with insurance. So once the tenant gets placed, I go to the lender and I say, Hey, I want to underwrite this loan. I paid $66,000 all in. There's on, that's what it is on the HUD. As long as that's it's 75% or of LTV or hundred percent of HUD, whichever one's less, hopefully it's less. I leave no money in the deal. I get out my entire amount and my underwriting goes fast because I, well, I do commercial underwriting for a bank. So I, I'm, I got the inside scoop. So uh, yeah, the last one took eight and a half weeks from the time I closed on the house, to the time I had 100% of my funds back minus some hard closing costs, 1200 bucks or something. Okay. I need to, I need to dive in here. So delayed financing. We've only talked about it once before on the show. I can't remember what episode it was, but we talked about it before and I had never even heard of it at that point. So you're saying basically it's like the, the Burr loan from the, from Fannie Mae. You can actually, so normally let me give some, some background. Normally when you do a Burr property, you buy it and then you go and get a loan. The lender requires what's called seasoning. You have to wait six months months, sometimes up to a year to get uh, a new loan again, once you buy a property. So the burr usually takes six months, maybe even 12 months. 
So delayed financing is a, a an exception in that rule that allows you to refinance much, much quicker. But I'm not sure what you're talking about. I've never heard this before, but 100% of HUD. What do you mean by your repairs go on HUD? How does that work? So I talk about this all the time. I'm certainly nowhere near the only person that's figured it out, but it's a, it's incredibly misunderstood. And I deal with, I try to, I try to, I'm on the forums all the time trying to help people out and they just think I'm crazy, but this really works. So when you go to close on your house, the HUD is your purchase price plus or minus maybe uh, taxes, interim taxes. And so what you pay 35,000 for the house, the HUD says 35 grand, right? We all know this. Sure. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. So you, you close in the house, $35,000. The HUD says 35 grand. So when you go to get the loan, even if you delay, use delayed finance, they're going to say you can, pay, you can get 100% of HUD or 75%, whichever one's less. So the house appraises for whatever, and I only paid 35 grand. So you can only get that out 35 grand. That's what everybody doesn't like about delayed finance. You can only get out what you paid for the house. So what I started doing was when I got the HUD, I went to the title attorney and I just said, hey, I'm going to add some stuff to that. Do you care? No, we don't care. Why would we care? Why would the title attorney care what's on the HUD? They don't care. So here's an invoice for $20,000 for my contractor. Here's an invoice for 700 bucks for my insurance. Can you add it to it? Sure. Now the downside is you got to pay for it all up front. Okay. Yep. I don't have to get the, and they're going to escrow it to the insurance. They're going to escrow it to the contractor and you can set it up. So they do disbursements and whatnot. But now the HUD says 66 grand. And so when I go to the lender, they're like, Oh, hundred percent of HUD. We're done. We're cool. 66 grand. That's fascinating. So, so if I understand you right, Alex, you're paying your rehab costs into the escrow, you're closing, the cost of the house is going to the seller, then the, the escrow company is keeping your rehab costs in escrow, which they then disperse to your contractor as they complete the work. Is that correct? You, that, that's the way you should do it. I don't do it that way. I pay my contractor in full up front. I don't care because him and I are so, that's the power right. of having a great team. But yes, you can tell them, escrow it out. You know, wow. as I, as you tell them, they will disperse it. No problem. Okay. Yeah, so cool. I, d- I'd never heard of that either. That's an awesome strategy. And oh, now you basically you've got the, uh, <laughs> your HUD is showing a higher amount. So the bank will let you refinance more of your money back out, which is the whole point of Burr, right? Yeah. And it, there's specifics here that work for me because generally my all in costs are 75% or close to HUD. So if you had a, a place where your you, you had 65 grand in a house, but it was worth 150. It's like, well, wait the six months. Cause that's a big chunk of m- money that you're not gonna be able to get out. Sure. And vice versa. If you have a house that you have 65 grand into it and it's worth a hundred or you got 80 grand into it and it's worth a hundred, you're going to lose $10,000 because the AR it, cause it's, it's LTV, 75% LTV or HUD, whichever one's lower. So you really want to make sure that your numbers line up before you purchase the property, that your all in costs will be six seventy-five percent of the ARV. I just, it's fascinating to me that you and I have never met. And what you're describing is everything I talk about in the book. And our criteria is almost exactly the same. My target is all emails? in for 75% of ARV. Uh, so what you're describing, like building a team, having other people do the work that's in the book I wrote long distance investing. That's what we're talking about is how you build that team, how you develop these relationships, what you should be looking for. You've done this a couple of times now for people who are just getting started. What's some practical advice you can give them for what they need to know in order to be able to start this? They are too focused on how much money they don't have and not focused enough on how much they don't know. So again, it comes back to ed- education and networking. If you're, if you're having troubles to, to uh, getting ahead or getting something put together, odds are you haven't met the right people yet. 
And I've spoken about this significantly on bigger pockets, uh, how to find mentors and you know, the BP resource is fantastic to find people, local RIAs learning, getting out and, and finding a guy like me who already does it. And then will give you a lot of, uh, will give you a lot of confidence. The other thing is people don't know their market. That's a real big problem. You have to know, I, I bought, I analyze my properties from MLS pictures and I've bought them without anybody walking through that house before and made money because I know the market so well. So when I look at a house, I know exactly what it's going to rent for, how much it's going to take, work it's going to take, what the ARV is, and I can do it in 10 seconds. And that's not because I'm smart. That's because I've been grinding out uh, Zillow and Trulia analysis uh, templates or practice for years. Yeah. So if you're unsure of capital or you're unsure how, how, where the capital is going to come from, you need to network. If you're unsure of what market to go in, you need to educate. And if you're unsure of what a good deal looks like, you're way behind the curve. If you don't know what a good deal looks like, you're not going to know how to spring on one when you see one. So you have to analyze. I analyze 10, 10 deals a day. That's what I tell people. Just grind them out. Do them through the, um, through, do your underwriting, check them out. And so when the good one comes along, you're going to go, oh yeah, that's the one. I got that one. We can make a move. Because I, I love that. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what a good deal looks like, even if one comes across your desk, you can't close yep. and you can't move forward. So if you know a good deal, when you see one, then you can start making moves. You know, this is something I tell people all the time when they talk about like, well, you know, I don't quite have the money to invest yet. I'm like, okay, well, analyze deals anyway. Get so good at knowing what a good deal is that everything else becomes easier, right? Because if you're like, you, it doesn't take much money to be able to run a number on, I mean, like you might have a pro membership, right? Cost in there. But if you, regardless, analyze deals, analyze deals, get so good at that, that everything else becomes easier, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you have to have the, you know, you, you got to practice, you got to prepare because when it comes time to make decisions in this business, you, you're going to learn real quick that you always make an imperfect decision. And that's something that doesn't, people don't like to hear that. Everybody on the, on the, on BP is looking for a unicorn deal, some 2% deal or some perfect deal. And I've never bought a perfect deal. It doesn't, I don't think it happens. So you have to be ready to make a deal that you look at and go, "Eh, it's going to be good enough. Well, if you're unsure and what a good deal even looks like, then you're never going to take a, that's how you get analysis paralysis. So you really got to know, and you got to spend a lot of time, you know, I call it obsessing. You got to spend a lot of time obsessing over this. Like I said, meeting people, talking to people all the time. I spend hours on that website, on your website, talking to people and learning still to this day for education and then networking. I'm, I'm always reaching out to people, trying to find ways to meet them. I met Scott and Mindy last week at FinCon. And I've met uh, a whole bunch of my really close real life friends from, from spending time on BP. And when you meet people that are doing well and they like you, they're going to take you along. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. It, it, a lot of it is relationships. Most of it is relationship. Solid. Solid. So Alex, you make such a great point because I see what I call perfect deal paralysis all the time. You get people that are like into it. They're on BP. They're listening to the podcast. They're talking about real estate. They're going to meetups. They're doing everything on paper they should be doing, but they can't quite pull that trigger. And it's so frustrating because you're doing all this work and you're not getting the payoff. And that's one of the reasons I love Burr because when I really dig into why people get perfect deal paralysis, it's because they have fear of missing out. If I buy this deal, but a better one comes along, I'm going to miss out, right? And that's why I love Burr because if you're using the traditional method and you got 40 grand to put into a deal, if you buy A, but B is better, you missed out on B and you'll be kicking yourself. And if you know that before you actually pull the trigger, it keeps you from taking your shot. So people are like, I don't know, should I go that market or this market, this house or that house, the duplex or a single family? When you Burr, you can do A, then B. 
you do A, you get your money back, then you can do B. And it takes all this pressure off of you to make the perfect deal. And instead, what you should start thinking is 30 years from now, am I going to be glad I bought this house or not? Right? Not, well, should I buy it right now? I just don't know. What if a better one comes along? Nobody looks back at a house they bought 30 years ago that has gone up in, in price times five and has paid off. And it's like, man, I wish I wouldn't have bought it and I'd have bought the one across the street. You know, like it just, you won't even remember the house across the street. And that's the shift in thinking that you need. And that's what I love about both Burr and long distance investing is it opens up doors so you can always be making move. It doesn't matter where your market is. It doesn't matter where your market in the, is in the market cycle. And it doesn't matter if a better deal is going to come along later. Do you have anything to add along those lines? Yeah, I love that that comment because people do get uh, I call it uni- I call it unicorn paralysis where they're they're looking for the perfect deal and you know I think people need to settle way more than they really are like if you're new I don't care how good you think that deal is odds are your first deal is going to be junk it just mm-hmm. is and you're not going to know it until much later yeah. because you're going to look at the as you get better you're going to look at they're going to look at the past and be like oh man that deal I stressed about that deal just like you said David and so think long term like it doesn't have to be I don't need ten home runs. I don't need, I don't need five home runs. I need 50 singles. Yeah. Yeah, I did a video called the stack, right? You know, I talk about this all the time is like your first deal is not going to make you rich. Your first deal is not going to give you freedom. Your first deal does nothing for you really, but gives you knowledge and experience and and credibility, right? Because this first deal, the whole point, the only point is to get the second deal. Because once you get the first, then you can get the second. The only point of the second deal really is to get the third and then they get the fourth. And the thing that makes you wealthy is a, like you said, 50 singles. That's, but it, it's not gonna happen if you never do the first one, right? So just, again, we're not saying buy a bad deal, but it doesn't no. have to be a home run. Don't buy a bad deal, but but don't wait around, but get a good deal. Like yep. I made, on my last deal, I looked at it and I was like, man, I could have made five grand more in this deal if I bought it right. Who cares? Yeah. Five grand, 10 grand. In 12 years, this is going to be irrelevant. Yeah. And not to say that those aren't, those aren't big amounts of money or that they're, it's, it's okay to lose that money or overspend. It's just, if you're going to make 20 grand, don't get mad that you didn't make 25. Mm. Like just take the profitable deal, get the experience, especially if you're new, because a lot of it is just, you know, jumping out of the airplane is really easy the second time. Uh, right. It's the first okay. one where you're That's like, really oh, good. this yeah, you're like, oh, this is really scary. Oh no, it's not. It's amazing and fun and easy. And do you like, jump? Do you jump you out of planes? Got... Is that a thing you do? I was a paratrooper in the military. Yeah, 15, okay. 15 jump. Couple, a uh, couple of uh, couple of Chinooks and Blackhawks. Yeah, I got stories. <laughs> I can see in my mind's eye. I see Alex jumping out of a plane with a guitar and an amplifier, playing "Stairway to Heaven" <laughs> on the way down, oh, like. God. It, right. And buying three houses before he hits the ground. Like he just, if you guys can see Alex right now, if you're, if you're not watching on YouTube, like he's a very high energy, positive, kind of a awesome guy. Uh, and he just dabbed. I've never seen a dab on BP before. We've got our, we've got our first documented dab. Okay. Alex, I want to ask you, what do you look for in a deal? What catches your eye? So if somebody else wants to copy your system, which is very close to my system, what should they be looking for? Well, look, it's not going to work in every market. Every market's going to have small differences. In my market, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the real transparent real transparent what I do. I look for a house that I can be all in for 65 grand, whether I pay 55 and do 10 in rehab or whether I pay 30 and do 35 in rehab. I need to be all in at 65. It needs to rent for 850. It needs to be worth 995. 90, 95. That's it. There's other small things like in my market, a lot of houses come with carports and I, and I hate carports, but I know if it's a three, two, I can rent it for say eight fifty. If I go to, 
if I make it a four, two and you convert that garage and cost me about four grand to do it, I can rent it to section eight and I get a guaranteed nine fifty because it's a four bedroom. And so there's these really intricate nuanced market conditions that you're going to have to learn about your own market. But what I basically look for is to be all in at 65 with a 25% equity and it rents and and it's going to give me a, I would call it a 1.5 price to rent ratio kind of in there. So you clearly know your market, right? Because I don't know anything about Fayetteville, but I can guarantee from what you just said, most of the houses are going to be appraising between 90 and 95, between 90 and 100,000 that you would be looking at, right? And you're going to be all in for the 65 number. You came up with that because you know when I go to refinance it, I can get all my capital back, maybe a little bit more. And you know that if they rent for 850, it's putting you right in the cash flow where you want to be. So what's beautiful about what Alex is doing is he's not wasting time analyzing every house on Zillow like the newbie is. He's filtering down to only the houses he knows are going to work. And then he's taking those ones and picking his best option, right? Out of everything I'm seeing at, here's my best option. If it meets my criteria, I buy it. It's very similar to what I'm doing. Like, there's a reason that these patterns keep emerging in long distance investing that I do and Alex do, even though we never met. I look for all in for 75% of ARV. I want it to cash flow positively. So it needs to be around the 1% rule. And I want it to be in a good neighborhood. I don't want to be in a D class neighborhood, a war zone, anything like that. And if it makes sense, I'll buy it. Alex is in the same boat, but he knows exactly what those properties look like. So he spots it right away. If you can figure out in what market you want to be in and get a general idea of what the deals look like, man, it's it's so much easier to make a move without getting stuck in that unicorn or perfect deal paralysis. Yeah. Unicorn, like decision-making is a talent that is that you really have to work on. And I don't know how to teach that. Unfortunately, I don't really have any good advice for that, but decision-making being able to make a decision good or bad is incredibly valuable to be able to make one quick. And even, like I said, for, for better or for worse, but not being able to make a decision, not being able to pull the trigger, that is a hindrance because as you get better, you have to make harder decisions that involve more people. That's going to involve their livelihood. Now, you know, my business takes up probably a good portion of my property management contractor's lively their portfolio. And so you got to be able to make good decisions. You got to make fast decisions and you got to, you're going to have to start doing it with a lot of responsibility on your back. So I don't know how to teach that, but yeah, once you find out something that's works, you got to be able to pull the trigger. And I think a lot of that comes back to what we talked about, like analyze the properties, learn the market, build a team. And if you, you know how, you know what really a, a position that turned me around was I was just starting to get into this and I found a deal. It was 50 grand. It had a tenant. It was renting for 800 bucks a month. And a wholesaler came up to me and said, look, just give me a thousand dollar fee and you can have this house. It's, it's done. And at the time, now I look back and go steal. Perfect. But now at the time I was really scared. And so this is what helped me get over analysis paralysis forever. I called a BP friend of mine who invests in my area. And I said, Hey, I'm scared to take this house down. What do you think about it? And a week later he closed on it <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's making money on it. And so it, it, I, and it wasn't a perfect deal, but he took it down like a in a cocaine heartbeat. I mean, he took it down. <laughs> and so I was, and so I looked at it and I said, dude, I just, <laughs> I was like, I just, um, I missed that deal out of fear. That's all it was. It was a good yep. deal. I knew yep. it in my gut and I missed it out of fear and never again will that happen. So yeah. maybe that'll dude, have to happen to you, but I wrote an article for bigger pockets about how I analyzed and bought a deal in five minutes. And it's, I mean, it's exactly what you just said. I don't, it's weird that it's like this yin and yang thing going on where we are very different personalities, but we're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, we should date. Let's go. Where do you want to go? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> all right. So I want to, I want to ask about something kind of random, but you mentioned you are an underwriter for business. What is that for commercial loans? 
Yeah, for SBA actually. All right, so let's let's talk about that for a minute. What is SBA? What what is that? You I mean, as long as we have you on the show, I'd love to know like more. What is that? What kind of loans do you underwrite? Yeah, well, I'll ask more questions after that. Yeah, well, back to when I went to school for finance, I said I went to school for finance because I wanted to learn how to make money or at least how money worked. And I started working at a bank because I was in a small town without any real finance opportunities. And then when I moved to Las Vegas two years ago, I wanted to do more. I was I knew I, I could do more. And so I got into this underwriting department and it's SBA is small business administration. It's loans that they give to, it's only for owner-occupied businesses, but it's basically for new startups, people that want to start a business that can't go to a traditional bank and get funding because they're in this risk pool where it's like, you know, you, I know you want to start a new Subway franchise, but you've never run one and you don't have that much capital. So the big banks aren't going to deal with you, but the SBA will come in and say, we can help you with a franchise. We'll give you a, we'll let you do a smaller down payment. And we, they, they mitigate risk in different ways to get uh, startups going. So I mostly deal with actual owner occupied businesses, restaurants, some franchise stuff. Do you guys have a nothing bunt cake? I don't know if you ever heard of that. Um, heard we, that do a, we do a whole, we do a whole slew of them, tropical smoothies, small stuff, but then we also do big stuff. Uh, a lot of local businesses in Las Vegas are, are done through the SBA and it really, uh, underwriting is, it's been a fantastic learning experience for me because when you do single family un- underwriting, it's basically just doing the cash flow analysis. But it doesn't really mitigate, doesn't really show how to mitigate risk. And so what I do is I look at these $5 million loans and you got to go through all the collateral and all the relationships and make sure that everybody can mitigate, uh, we can mitigate risk in a, in a bunch of different ways and we can explain how the loan is going to get done. And then it doesn't work for passive multifamily. SBA won't do passive investments, but man, what you learn by, look, I have the advantage of every day somebody sends me in a tax return for their business. I get to look at their business credit report. And then their personal tax returns and their personal credit reports. And I put this whole thing together in a story to see how this business is running, why it's good, why it's bad, where it's, and, and to paint a picture of trending. And it doesn't have direct impact on what I specifically do, but the knowledge of how a bank looks at a deal is incredibly useful. Yeah, I, I argue all the time because I used to work at a bank. I wasn't the underwriter, but I was like the front guy that took the loan apps and stuff for you know people wanted a home equity line of credit or whatever. And what I realized is that underwriters, for the most part, like you said, you're kind of painting a picture of what does this look like? With a lot of it is if you can think like an underwriter thinks rather than thinking how the front salesperson, because a salesperson is designed to say one thing. Yes, get the application. Yes, we can do that loan, right? Yes. The key, the power is in the underwriter. Like you are the one that actually makes the decision, not you know, some front end banker who, or whatever, who's saying, yeah, I can do anything. Right. So like learn how an underwriter thinks. Uh, and with real estate, it's not that complicated. I mean, like the, the rules are fairly standard, straightforward, you know, like there's debt to income, there's loan to value. You can find those things out and then underwrite your own deals. And so uh, I, again, I just en- encourage people like look into that. How does an underwriter think? If you guys want to know more about that, go to biggerpockets.com slash bank financing. I put together an ebook a couple of years ago on how a bank thinks, how an underwriter processes. So again, biggerpockets.com slash bank financing. Uh, it's free. There's nothing, there's not like a, it's not like a paid book or anything. Uh, on that note, I'm wondering, can somebody, as far as you know, use an SBA loan to like build a fund for like flipping houses or maybe for Burr? You cannot do any of that? Flipping is, well, banks, banks are, <laughs> banks do not like flipping these days. Not to say that they won't do it. And I'm sure I'm going to get, you know, emails <laughs> saying that I'm wrong, but Banks in general, uh, especially in Las Vegas, are wacky about flipping because, well, you, well, because banks are really, uh, uh, they're filled with cons- really conservative, sure. you know, scared, scared people uh, <laughs> on purpose, on purpose, because we don't want to, we don't want to misspend money. So 
but the, but the, the rule of the SBA is that it can't be passive. So you can't do it for a multifamily apartment, unfortunately. What you can do with SBA is self-storage. So if you want to do a self-storage, big loan with value add, you can get construction built in and you can do it low down payments, 10 or 15% sometimes. And if you're a veteran, you get some discount benefits here and there. SBA is a fantastic program for people who want to start a business, not passive, but don't either have a lot of capital or have a really good understanding of how to embark on that adventure because SBA will help build a business plan for you. That's cool. So it's a fantastic program. I kind of lucked into it but I love it. Very cool. Yeah. I just want to make sure we covered that because I, I, I hear a lot of good things about SBA loans, not necessarily with real estate, but just friends of mine who are entrepreneurs. And I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to our show who have businesses. Yeah. Definitely check out SBA. So, all right. Last question before we move on to like the deep dive and stuff. I'm wondering what does your future look like? Uh, where do you see yourself headed with real estate? Yeah. So I had the same plan that I think a lot of people on the site have, which is I want to buy 10 houses, maybe do it over 10 years and then retire. And I bought seven in two years and blew that idea straight out of the water. So what it, what it taught me was, you know, go as slow as go as fast as you can, as slow as you need to, but don't set your goals too small. That was really a, a, before I ever bought a house, I didn't think I could do it before I went to college. I never thought I could do it. I bought three houses real quick. And I was like, man, maybe I'm better at this than I had given myself credit for, or maybe I'm just setting my self expectations too low. So now that I have, I'm about to close on uh, my seventh rental and I started helping other people buy houses through consulting and whatnot. And so what we talked about earlier, like building a business is hard. Real estate transactions are easy and they've gotten really easy and I've gotten bored. So we are actually, we started looking at a 68 unit uh, that I don't think will close, but the, the plan is I want to buy a small multi 30 or 40 units so that I can get my feet wet to go buy a 250 something, something big. I just always, you know, uh, I say this all the time. The answer to every business problem is scale bigger. So like I'm going to scale as big as I can. Like that. I like that. Well, cool. All right. <laughs> I want to, I want to <laughs> switch. Yeah. It's just solid. Like I, I'm even like writing down notes that I'm going to make little Instagram quote cards later. Like, uh, like David just wrote here as fast as you can, as slow as you need to, but don't set your goals too small. Like that's like, Instagram glory right there. All right. So I want to shift gears here though a little bit and head over to the deal a deep dive. Here's a little insider only knowledge from my days on the force. Most break-ins actually happen in broad daylight. And if you're enjoying more time out and about, your home could be in danger. So what you're saying, David, is that we should block out the sun to reduce break-ins. I like it. Oh, you've been watching too much Interstellar again, Rob. <laughs> you can just use Simply Safe to protect your home 24-7. They were even named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. Simply Safe's advanced sensors and cameras protect every room, window, and door in my home, keeping the little Abisolo safe no matter where I am. Plus, you know we're frugal, guys. That's why we love Simply Safe's super affordable 24-7 professional monitoring that costs less than a dollar a day. Now, I don't worry when I'm away. You can even test out Simply Safe risk-free with their 60-day trial. Protect your home today. Bigger Pockets listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/pockets. Don't wait, that's simplysafe.com/pockets. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities 
struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting fundrise.com slash pockets. Fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, let's get to the deep dive. These are, this is the part of the show, I should say, where we dive deep into one particular deal that you've recently done to learn the good, bad, the ugly, what went right, what went wrong, whatever about the property. So we're going to ask you a number of questions about it. For the first one, though, it's just, you have, a, you have a deal in mind, correct? Yes. All right. So first of all, what kind of property was it? I mean, what are we talking about here? I found this property online. I had seen it only from the MLS pictures and they were tragic. There was a deck in the back that you couldn't see because it was growth like over the house. It was so, it was out of control. It even had growth coming through, not the windows, but the walls. And I looked at this house and I was like, there's not a single redeeming quality about this house. I must have it. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew the area, I knew the market and I knew that it was scarier. I knew it was scaring people off for a reason. They were fearful of it. Not, not that it wouldn't make money. All right. And you said you found it. You said MLS, right? Yeah. MLS, it was 36 grand or so. And I knew it it should have been worth a hundred and I knew it looked worse than it really was. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. 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 It makes perfect sense. In fact, I love looking for those properties that look worse than they really are. Yeah. And it was on the market for like 70 days. So I knew everybody was just scared of it, which those are my favorite ones. The ones that every, you know, if you're fearful of it, I'm going to come in and, and, and write a check. All right. There you go. All right, Alex. Now, how did you negotiate this deal? Well, this one, I was very fortunate. It was on MLS and it was on there for, I want to say 90 days or something. And I just, I lowballed them a little bit. I don't, I'm not a big lowballer kind of guy. I'm more like just pay and get it done. So I lowballed them a little bit. I think I paid 36 grand for that house. And everybody that I told that to thought I was out of my mind. <laughs> Do you remember what they, <laughs> what, were they what were they asking for? Do you remember? Uh, probably not much more than that. I, I want to say 40. Okay. Something like that. I didn't. Yeah. All right. And uh, now a lot of people are listening to this going like, that's just crazy. Yeah. That's I have my car for that. Right. Like, so, I mean, every market's a little bit different. And if like I, we always say like either go to a market where, you know, if you want to buy cheaper property, go to a market where you can buy them or figure out what works in your market, but don't use that. As yeah. If you have houses in your market that, yeah, go ahead. yeah, if you have houses in your market that don't work, you have a, you have a, you're looking at it as an obstacle when it's an advantage because now you get to go pick a market that does work mm, like and that. you get to pick it out of all the markets. 
<laughs> it's a kid in the I also store. want to add in there, you all, you often hear us say you shouldn't buy $30,000 houses, right? Like you could get in trouble with these. There's a difference between a, that's a house with a $30,000 ARV. These are houses he's buying for 40,000, but the ARV is going to be 90 to a hundred thousand completely different concepts. So don't hear that low number and just be like, Oh, I was told don't go buy these pigs. It's not, it's not the same philosophy. Good point. Yeah. The other thing is um, with those cheap houses you get uh, in my market, if I buy a house that rents for six fifty a month or less, I can't get a, ten- a property manager to show up because the quality of tenant changes and that's going to be different for every market. And so I see that all the time. People buy, you know, a duplex for 80 grand or a, a quadplex for 90 grand. And I'm like, I don't know what you, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know it's going to be trouble when they rent for $500 a month. It, the, the number might work on a cash to price ratio type analysis, but you're not thinking of what it takes to actually put somebody boots on the ground and go deal with the person that only wants to pay $500 a month. Everybody, every landlord probably has dealt with the tenant that doesn't want to pay the full rent, but they'll trade you some food stamps for the remainder. (laughs) And so you don't want to, um, you don't want, not, not that you don't want that tenant, but you know, you have to, you have to calculate those, those troubles. And when you get that $30,000 house and you just see it on paper, it's not going to work out the same in real life. Yeah, I totally agree. How'd you find it? Cash. Uh, oh, this is perfect. Actually. So I was waiting on a, on a, I was waiting on a, a check back from a refi for a previous house. So when I put the bid in, I was like, look, I can afford to buy this house, but I can't afford pretty much anything else until the money comes in. And then, and then even then I'd have just enough. Well, between the time I closed and this, uh, I had an HVAC go out and it cost me like eight grand. So I did not have enough money to reha- to do this project. And then the bid came in and said, I got the offer accepted. So I had an offer for a house that I really wanted, but I couldn't pay for it. And nobody had seen the house yet. The contractor hadn't seen the house. I hadn't been inspected. Nobody's seen it. And so I called, I just made phone calls till I could find somebody to loan me 25 grand. And I found a guy on BP who had helped buy a house. And I said, Hey man, give me 25 grand. I'll pay back to you in 60 days. Cause I'm waiting on this refi. I'll pay you a, a, a just a obscene amount of interest like <laughs> annualized. Yep. Right. Uh, yeah, whatever. And he loaned me 25 grand. I closed the house and I made a man. I made a bunch of money. That's awesome. So if you get stuck, like the money is not the problem. It made me very nervous. I don't mean to sound that I was confident about it or that I had it lined up. It was like, you have this house now, you have this offer accepted. What are you going to do about it? And you grind, you go and beg, borrow and steal from your friends. And you make sure that if the deal is good, I showed him the deal. He's like, yeah, that's going to make money. No problem. Let's go. And I paid him back. I think in, in, in 60 days. Very cool. Very cool. All right. What did you do with the property then after that? So I bought that house with the growth and everything without getting it with my rehab contractor. Didn't even look at it. So I had really, I was guessing what it was going to cost to rehab and I had to borrow money to pay for it. So I love this story because in my head, I felt incredibly, I was nervous, but I knew it was going to work out. Whereas everybody else thought I was a lunatic, which is, which is what you want. That's what, that's where you where you really want to be. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, we rehabbed it. We ended up putting in a bunch. We did HVAC, a new roof. Uh, we built a whole new deck. Uh, we did a new driveway. It cost me, uh, yeah, I mean, right around 30 grand, 31, somewhere there. So I ended up being all in at 68 and then it appraised for 90, 95 or 105. It was, and the lady that lives in it is happy as can be. What's the rent on that? 900. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's greater than Easy. 1% rule. You're at like what? 1.3, 1.4, somewhere in there. You've got, yeah, 1.4 is about what I get. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Which is why you're why you're confident and comfortable to go and buy a deal like this without getting all the specifics. You don't need to know the exact rent. You don't need to run the numbers precisely. You can do it without getting a bid from your contractor because you've done enough of these deals that you have a really good understanding of how it's going to turn out. And you're going to do really good or you're going to do pretty good, but it's enough to move forward. So that's yeah. why you want to know your stuff. That was only my third deal, actually. And it was my first long distance deal. But again, it comes down to, I looked at that house and I said, ah, worst case scenario, I'll make 15 grand. Well, then do it. I mean, what are you waiting for? Just do it because yep. I can use the 15 grand and then the next one, I'll feel more confident. The, me- the next one, I might make 50 grand. Yeah. The ne- you know, like I'm not worried about one. I'm worried about, you know, 1200. How do I get to 1200? Yep. <laughs> awesome. So what was the outcome with this one? It took me a little longer to refi that one because the spread ended up being bigger. What was it? The spread ended up being bigger. I didn't want to do it in, in the delayed financing. So I took the six months and got an extra five or six grand out of it, okay. I think. And, but I still own that house. Cool. And, uh, lesson, right, now, lessons learned kind of overall, what did you learn on this thing? Uh, be fearless. Uh, you can solve problems in a pinch. If you take the problem on, you can't solve a problem that you have no skin in the game with. Like you, if you're like, I need to go raise money. Well then go get a deal that you actually have to raise money for. Yeah. Cause if you just go ask somebody, Hey, can I have 20 grand in case I need it? Can you pledge it to me in case something comes up that I need it? You're going to get yeses. And then when the time comes, you're going to get no's. What you really need is to put yourself in a position to, to have to figure a problem out, like actual skin in the game. Are you losing sleep? Now you're, now you're ready to go actually solve a problem. Yeah. When there's nothing on the line, you have no real incentive. That sounds like Brandon during his 1031 exchange to try to buy his apartment. Yeah. You got it done like. The last day. Uh, yep. A few questions for you, Alex, about this deal. What is it cash flowing a month right now, approximately? Uh, yeah, about about three hundred bucks. My expense ratio is really low, forty two percent, and I contribute. I attribute one hundred percent of that to my how great my property manager and, and contractor is. We do a bunch of capex up front, and so he knows, yep. like, you know, don't don't put chandeliers in the kid's bedroom, like, <laughs> like do a bunch of capex up front, so there's not a lot of maintenance afterwards, and we never have vacancy. And so over time, these things, they let, they let you cash flow more than, than the paper would say. And yeah. so, yeah, a lot of times you do, you'll do your cash flow analysis and you come out to a hundred dollars a door and it's like, yeah, but if you don't have any maintenance or very low maintenance for the year and no vacancy, yeah. you, you're going to do better than, uh, than you project if you're projecting conservative. And what did you leave in this deal? How much of your capital did you leave in it? As little as possible. I th- think I took out. I, you could take out a hundred percent of what you put in minus like hard, like the loan costs. So probably nine, 900 bucks or something. Okay. So I'm just going to give you an example. I don't even know how to calculate ROI on that number. Like it's going to be almost, I call it infinite. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's basically, it's basically infinite. infinite ROI, right? So for people that would criticize, well, you didn't even know what you were doing or you didn't know how this was going to end up. That was reckless. He ended up with an infinite ROI because he left almost nothing in this deal and $300 of free cash flow, plus all the tax benefits, plus the no CapEx, plus the loan pay down, everything else that comes with real estate. That's what Burr will do for you is it can, you creates this incredible bold attitude of, I don't need to know everything because it's so efficient. I'm always going to come out on top. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, I say you don't need to get home runs, but if you do burn, you take all your money out. It's a home run. Yeah. If you make a hundred bucks a month, yeah. it's like how much, how much free income do you need before you start getting yeah. excited? How much? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so 300 bucks a month or a hundred dollars a month, people say that's nothing. I'm like, yeah, again, but get 15 of them and you only need one set of cash. I'm still spending my initial 70 grand. Yep. Right. It's yep. just, I mean, yeah, if recycling. I can do it, it's your recycling. The capital. Yeah. It's great. Love it. Love it.
right, dude. Well, let's move on to the next segment of the show, which we refer to as our fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, let's get to today's fire round. This uh, is the segment of the show where we go through questions that our users on the Bigger Pockets forums have actually asked. So I know, Alex, you're in the forums anyway, so maybe you've even seen these, but uh, we're going to fire them at you right now. First one, I like this one. This is, I've done a lot of reading about Burr, and I think I've got some sort of mental block. I just can't get the how it works. Can you explain it to me like I'm a second grader? No. <laughs> <laughs> All no, right, moving okay. on. It's actually- okay. It, look, it's easy to do this on paper. It's easy to see it on paper, but it is a little bit hard to explain um, uh, talking it through. But here, here's basically what it is. And I'll try to use as easy numbers as possible. If you buy a house all in for 65 grand, that's cash. Okay. Cash gone. And then you, re, and you, it's worth, let's use even easier numbers. You buy it, you're all in it for 75. You go to get it appraised and it's worth a hundred. The, lo- the bank is going to give you 75 grand in cash and they're going to give you a loan for, for your, for the, for the same amount. And so you started with 75 grand, you ended with 75 grand and a $75,000 loan. You traded no difference in net worth. It's just, you traded non-liquidity for liquidity and you have the 25% equity left over and the cash flow left over. And the tenant is going to take 30 years to pay that bank off. Plus you a little bit. It's People make it seem it's new and it sounds some, it's not like something you run into in regular life. So it sounds way more complex than it is, but it's so freaking simple. Uh, they even let a knucklehead like me do it. There you go. It's, it's like, I, if I'm going to go second grader, I would say like, you have a Snickers bar in front of you and you want to, you know, oh, you, you buy a, no, I'm, I have no idea how to use that. Analogy, I, have no, but I don't have I need to work on that. No, I have a pretty good one. It's, okay, let's people hear. get hung up. I think the problem is you get hung up on this idea that you, you get a loan when you buy something like that's stuck in their head. Like I have to oh. get a loan to buy a house, to buy a car, to buy a thing. The whole idea of a refinance is completely different because you're not getting a loan to buy it. You already have it. Right. But when you get a loan to buy something, the bank doesn't care that you're buying it. All they care is that they're giving you a percentage of what it's worth because they want to be able to take it back from you if you don't pay and they want to get their money back. So if you had a car that was paid off, you could go to a place that gives car loans and say, I have a car and I want to take out a loan. And they'll say, we'll give you 75% of what the car is worth. Here's the Kelly Blue Book value. That would be the equivalent of an appraisal. We'll let you borrow 75% of what the Blue Book value is, right? If you can for whatever reason, people get it with a car, but they don't understand yeah. when you just say house. It changes everything, right? Yeah, so if you bought and fixed up that car for less than $7,500, you'd get all that money back when it appraised if the car was worth $10,000. Yeah. That's yeah. understanding Burr. And what, what Alex is saying is that if you don't do that, you still have the net worth, but it's stuck in equity in the property where it doesn't help you. If you refinance it, you take that money out of equity and turn it into cash that you put in your pocket, which you then can use to go buy your next car or your next house or whatever your, your investment yeah, the, of choices. Yeah. The other thing I think people get jammed up with with house loans is they, they don't think in terms of loan to value. They think in terms of down payment. Mm-hmm. And that's a mistake. And so they say, well, how much down payment do I need? And you mm-hmm. don't want to think this way at all. What you always want to think of is what's the LTV? for the product that I can get. Can I get a 75% LTV product? Well, then I need 25% equity, whether that comes from your down payment or your purchase, your ability to negotiate a, a house. If you could buy a retail house for 25%, you don't need any down payment and you can move right in. But 
that doesn't happen that often, but that's how you should think. So when I say, you know, you're going to get a 75% loan, it's no different than when you get a 97% FHA loan. If you could buy a house with three and a half percent equity, you wouldn't need any, you wouldn't need to put anything down either. And so I think mm. people get a little jammed up with, in that regard with the down payment, you know, that psyche of it. All right. All right. Good. All right. Next, next question. question. What are some pros and cons with buying investment properties out of state? Well, the pros are if you live in a state or you live in an area that is not working for what you want to do, then the pro is you don't have to, you don't, you have a unlimited opportunity to find a better area. The con is it seems harder. That's it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, I like that. Next one. Um, what team members are important for investing out of state? Uh, property manager. Yeah. Most important. I would say, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this in no order because, because <laughs> these people are all incredibly important to me. Property manager, uh, real realtor, lender, contractor. Not, <laughs> not, not, not in that order. Not in that order. Isn't that David? Isn't that your core four that you always talk that's about? That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's what Alex, Alex said. He never read my had, book and we've never talked. And he just like listened to the same four people that I've said, if you have those people, you can do it. That's all you need. Yep. Besties. Yeah. Uh, you, have to have those, <laughs> you have to have those four people. And you, here's the thing. When you're going to call these people long distance, you're going to run into a lot of people who suck. Fact. And you're going to have to burn through a lot of them. And when you're new, you don't know they suck. Do you think they're good? Because they tell you they're good and they don't even know they're bad. So you're going to have to run through a lot of these people, but you really want people that are smarter than you to do this. You don't want people that are, you, you want to convince people that are better than you to deal with you. That's really the goal. So they can bring you up. You don't want to go find somebody. It's like, I want to be a contractor and you like, I want to be a realtor. We should start this at the same time. It's like, no, you're doing too much. You need to find somebody that can help you not, you know, learn with you. So find people that are good, spend a lot of time networking, reaching out to people. Bigger Pockets is a fantastic resource for this because you can search by both location and keyword, yep. you know, broker, loan broker, Charlotte, North Carolina. I, I, I call those rock stars. You find a rock star, they'll change your life. They're top producer. They know what they're doing. They're smarter than you. And then you bring them value. They bring you value. That's the best relationship. So, and they the know the rock stars. That's rock stars and rock stars. Dude, are you sure you didn't read my book, Alex? You swear? <laughs> are you sure you didn't read my diary? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. This is a little too creepy. I'm just going to keep moving on. <laughs> I'm looking to purchase some property online, sight unseen. Can you give me any tips for purchasing property like this? If you're sure it's a deal, do it. If you're unsure it's a deal, you need to find, you need to practice more so that you can be sure. Like if it's a deal, buy it. That's if you don't know if it's a deal, then you, then you are working on the wrong problem. You All need right. to educate more. You need to know, you need to know if it's a deal. And if you're, if you're close, ask somebody that knows, right? If you have a deal and it's in uh, David's area and you're like, Hey man, is this a deal? And he's going to say, Eh, no, that's no, not a deal. And this is why. And then you can correct for the future. But if you have a deal and you're unsure if it's a deal, you need more information. If you're sure it's a deal and you're just scared, suck it up, buttercup. There you go. Okay, I got it. My last... Well, the, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, in the car business, I used to, um, I used to sell cars and I'd, I'd mess with people. They'd be like, ah, oh, you know, the it, I'm too scared. Oh, the payments are too high. And I'd say, yeah, I know the payments are too high. Lean hard. The forms are in triplicate. <laughs> <laughs> Do it anyway. There you go. Do it anyway. All right, question for you that's not in the fire round, but I'm just curious. What's with the background behind you? For those not on, not watching this on YouTube, you got a lot of really bright, awesome pictures behind you. What is that? 
uh, here's some really good blanket advice. If you want to be happy in life, you need three hobbies. One to keep you in shape, one to make you money, one to keep you creative. Uh, a few years ago, I started photography. I'm not a creative guy, but it's been fun. So when I started doing the YouTube and stuff like that, I wanted something that was visually appealing. I wanted to build a set. I am a production quality fiend about my, um, my work. And there's, there's, there's a billion people on YouTube that have their office in the background. So I, I bought, I have a nice, uh, uh, photo printer and I printed out pictures that are my life, my dog, cars, Las Vegas, Grand Canyon, Red Rock Canyon, friends cool. that drive cars. Yeah. So I just put them up cause it creates some visual appealing, uh, visual aesthetics and it's me. Yep. And I'm all about, and I'm all about me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> love, it. love it. All right. Well, more about you. Let's shift gears here one last time and head over to Famous Four. All right. Let's get to the Famous Four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week, and we're going to see what you got to say. And I know you've heard these before because you've listened to the show. I think you said earlier, I've listened to every episode three times. So uh, first one, what is your favorite real estate related book? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, baby. All right. Look, that that book I read 10 years before I bought a house. That book is not a book that you read to learn real estate. That is a book you read to get your mind, get your mind right. I I hate that it's been said so many times, but it really is. That's the one that changed everything for me. Okay. What is your favorite business book? I am a heavy reader of nonfiction, but very rarely do I like business books. Ray Dalio has a good one. Um, if I could recommend one book that everybody in the planet should read is a new one by Yuval Noah Harari that's Sapiens. It's not a business book, but it is a book about humanity and it will, uh, it provided me provides massive uh, perspective. I don't read a lot of business books, but I do read a lot. And there, I have a reading list on my website. If anybody you ever want to see, uh, I read hard nonfiction, uh, science, culture, and history. Wow. What, what, give us another couple of examples of what do you mean by that? Nonfiction that's not business. Like what are some books that you've been reading? Oh my God, this is my favorite question. Um, I read uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. That's a book that teaches you how your brain works and it is brilliant because because it's not working the way you think. Uh, I read a lot of uh, Richard Dawkins, Hard Science, uh, uh, Evolutionary Biology. Um, I just reread Stephen Hawking's book, uh, The Demon Haunted World by Carl Sagan. That's an old one. I'm trying to think. Uh, Factfulness by Hans Rawling. That's a book about uh, why the world is doing way better than people think. Trying to think of some other ones. Well, that's good. We'll, we'll, to, we'll encourage people to go to your website and check it out, which I'll ask you about in just a second. But before we do that, what, what, David, you got the next question. I was going to take it. But yeah, so jerk. You mentioned what your you mentioned what your three hobbies are. Can you just reiterate very quickly what they are? You said one for staying in shape, being creative, and what was your other one? Making money. Making money. So, what are three hobbies that you do for each of those? Oh well, photography for creativity, okay. real estate for making money, okay. and. I have been a, I've been powerlifting for 15 years. There we go. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. And it really, that, 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 that small, that small advice really works. I, it really, if you think about it that way, like just spend your time doing three things you like every day, those three hobbies. And yeah. if you can find one that makes you some money, which shouldn't be that hard. If you can do that, man, life gets so easy. You know, I saw that advice recently, the same, the, the, the habit thing. And then I added one, I, I, I added one to it and I threw it up on my Instagram and I said, also, uh, if you can find a hobby now, it could be a duplicate of the one of the other ones, but find one that builds you, builds relationships, right? I think hobbies are great. Find one that can build, you can either do with somebody else or find a hobby you can do with someone else, family, friends, whatever. Uh, like I think just, That's yeah, a good one. yeah, hobbies, hobbies with people are just so key. I think, cause we're, our happiness is typically based on our community. So yeah, I love that stuff. 
Agreed. And this is a relationship. Well, look, you know, my photography didn't get good until I started hanging out with other photographers. Mm, yeah. My powerlifting didn't get good until I started going to the powerlifting gym. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with that. Like I, I should probably amend that three hobbies and you have to include other people in them. Cool. I love it. I love it. All right. Last, uh, last question. What for me anyway, what sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? Obsession. Obsession, 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 obsession. I have been thinking about this for five years. Actually, I wrote an article I want to send to you, Brandon, called The The Famous Four. I have been pining over this question for five years, and I wrote a long-form article about it. And I sent it to to Mindy today, actually. Five years ago, I was listening to this podcast, and I heard that question. I said, ooh, I need to answer that. And arrogantly, I said, oh, inevitably, I'll be on that podcast, and I need to give my perfect answer. Yeah, funny how things work. Funny <laughs> how things work out. Well, so obsession is the answer, but I wrote this long thing about how you come to that answer. Like at first I thought it was networking and education. That's what it, the difference between the, those who succeed and those don't. And then I spent a lot of time going through all the old podcasts, as I mentioned, and I wrote everyone's answer and put them into graphs to see which ones show up most. And, you know, tenacity, all these types of answers, take action, be fearless, all these types of answers. And they all seemed really incomplete to me. So I've been pining over this this exact question for like four or five years. And I wrote a, um, and I've written about it. And I really think the reason I've been successful and many other people can be described by their obsession with their, with what they want to get done and learning about the, this question and trying to answer this question and being obsessed with it really led me to a lot of success, uh, being obsessed about real estate. It leads you to success. The gym, you know, I, I'm a good powerlifter. I lift a lot of weight. It doesn't come by just showing up to the gym. You got to get obsessed. And so I think whatever you're obsessed over, whatever you think, breathe, talk, and live about will happen. Ralph Waldo Emerson has this great quote, uh, a man is what he thinks about every day, or a man is what he thinks about all day long. And in, so if, you just, if you're trying to do real estate or trying to find a way to, to get started and you're doing it casually or part-time, it's going to be much harder. Like turn your life into a obsession machine about whatever it is you want to accomplish. And it is inevitable that you will succeed. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Last question of the day, David Green. Where can people find out more about you? Brokeisachoice.com. Uh, it's a website. I, it's just my personal website, but I put my thoughts, all my deals. Um, you can get in contact with me there. I put my book lists. Uh, I spend a lot of time on bigger pockets. So between if you reach out to me on Bigger Pockets or you find me on brokeisachoice.com, I, I reach out and talk to people all the time. Hit me up. Happy to help. Very cool. Very cool. All right, dude. Well, this has been a ton of fun. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Like seriously, I think people are going to love this. Oh, my absolute pleasure. You know, I love this community. I have been involved deeply in this community for four or five years. I know there's other people that look at this community and want to be a part of it. And I can just say like, just, just obsess, just stay on that website, talk to people, reach out. And I'm so thankful to to be here and be able to give back to the community that's given so much for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. And everyone else, of course, check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 306. You can jump in there, ask Alex questions. You can uh, comment on his amazing hair, or you could just, uh, you know, uh, get involved in the conversation. Like again, like Alex is such a bigger pocket success story. So I love having these stories because like on the podcast, right? Like this is somebody who did exactly what we're saying you should do network, educate yourself, get involved, talk, like, don't just listen to the words we're saying on the podcast, but go put it in the action, in the action, right? Alex heard about house hacking and how that can be a good way to start. Boom. Did it right. Heard about bird. Did it right. Took action. So I want to recommend everyone do that as well. And, uh, you know, 
We'll see you back here again next week. If anybody has, again, anything, jump into the show notes and uh, just get involved in Bigger Pockets. If you don't have a free account, go make a free account, biggerpockets.com. And uh, that's all I got. So, David Green, you want to say anything or take us out? Thank you very much, Alex. This was a great show. This is David Green for Brandon, the real estate God Turner, signing off. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enroll me today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enroll me. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.